Welcome to the LSQ Podcast. Our church began in April of 2017, and our vision is to joyfully live as reflections of God's love together in the city. This podcast will primarily feature sermons from Sunday worship and the occasional bonus content. We hope you'll subscribe. Today's scripture is 2 Corinthians 5:11 and verses 14 to 21. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, sorry, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God We're making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Amen. Thank you, Tess. Appreciate that. Um, I love the fact that, you know, my mom's doing a, a parenting seminar um, about why I raise kids in the city, and I'm like, I turned out okay, so it, it, can, it can work, and then I realize I don't want people to answer that question. Um, all right, we are, good morning, and welcome again to Redeemer Lincoln Square. We've been doing a series on work, specifically, why work? And when we ask that question, why work, there's, we're not just asking about what's the purpose of work. We're asking also, does my work matter? Which is another way of saying, do, do I matter? And this has become one of the main existential questions that our culture, our society is asking Christians and non-Christians alike ask this question. And what we find in today's text that Tess beautifully just read is that Paul gives us the answer. And he says all of work, the point of work, is to do three things. Reconcile, represent, and restore. Reconcile, represent, and restore. I want to quickly look at those three things and what they mean. So first, work means, all work means to reconcile. Now, that concept, to reconcile, means we're assuming something's broken in the first place. When I was a campus minister with college students, I would often get to meet with students who didn't grow up very religiously, 
And I would always ask them this question. I would say, tell me, in general, are things essentially what they should be or are things what they shouldn't be? And a lot of times, based on that question, we would actually, it would be, lead to a great dialogue. Now, some students would say, they would say, well, the world just randomly evolved. There is no overarching structure of morality or organization or truth. And therefore, to say is something should or shouldn't, it's actually, the, the world just is. And that answer has become more commonplace than ever before. Now, my follow-up question to that is, okay, so are you telling me then that you never complain then about your life, about suffering, about the, what happens in the world? You never complain because the world just is. And then that, that's when the crickets kind of come in. That's when you, uh, there is no real answer there because we know nobody really lives that way. It's, we live in a very ironic world where on one level we say there is no overarching narrative, there is no overarching morality, and then we spend a lot of our time shaming other individuals if they don't hold our view or our politics or our way of life. We spend a lot of moral energy shaming other people in a world that where we say there is no overarching point to it. So maybe the answer will come in science, right? Maybe science can tell us what should or shouldn't be, but the answer to that is no, it can't. Because science tells us what is. It's really good at testing and finding through repetition what is. But science can't tell us what ought to be. And if it can't tell us what ought to be, then it can't tell us what should or shouldn't be. Religion can, right? Religion makes those moral claims. And religions actually, generally speaking, if you stack the major religions next to each other, Christianity, Hinduism, Islam, generally speaking, they agree on what things should be. We should not murder we should be kind to each other. We should be nice to each other. And yet then Christianity, I think, the uniqueness of Christianity comes out in the application of how this actually happens. Because I think every religion says we should be the ones to make things as they ought to be. And yet, every other religion says it starts with you. Christianity is the only religion that says, yes, you should. Please do it. We heard ways earlier this morning of, of what we should be doing. But Christianity is the only one that says, yes, you should, but you're not. So God's going to do it first. And that's what we read here in our text today, that God takes the initiative. Look at verse 18. If you go to verse 18, it says, All this is from God, who, it, who reconciled us to himself through Christ. That God, th- this is, a, this is a, a very important passage because this is saying God has a mission. God has a purpose in his work, and his work is to reconcile us to himself. Where every other religion says, you make the move first, God says, I'm going to make the move first. And so look at Paul's logic then. Paul's saying God is on mission, verse 18, to reconcile himself through Jesus. And if we have now been reconciled to him, now it says we have a mission. The very next verse, it says, after that, or sorry, in that same verse, the second half says, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. I bet a lot of you don't realize you've been given a ministry. You have a ministry. Most people are like, oh, Michael, you're the minister, right? No, 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 no. We're all ministers. You have a ministry too, the ministry of reconciliation, which means to mend, to fix, to heal, all work then all good work, all real work, is to do that, to fix, to mend, to heal. It means to go into and find people who are unreconciled and to reconcile them. 
It means to find places, things that are unreconciled, and to reconcile them to him. I think many people in this world, we never pick up the Bible. Many people in this world will never pick up the Bible. They're never going to read it, but you know what they're going to do? They're going to read you. They'll read what you do. They'll read how you act. They'll read how you see things. And I think what Paul's trying to get at here is if, if our mission is God's mission, they may never believe, but they will see that something is different. This is actually why one of our main verses for our church is in Acts 8.8, 8, for the joy of the city. Because as Christians moved out, the first Christians moved out, not everybody converted, but everybody, there was joy still. Because people saw this ministry of reconciliation. And so before we move on, I want to ask you, is that how you see your life? Do you see, is, do you see all things? Is this the lens by which you look at reality? Do you see yourself as having a ministry of reconciliation? Is this how you define yourself? Where your daily living is trying to figure this out. That this is, that this is going to be even more important. As our world, I think you're seeing it in lifetime, our world is fracturing um, politically, economically, religiously, uh, racially. And so if we actually have a ministry of reconciliation and bring things together, it's going to be even more impactful than ever before. Do you move out into the world to get love from other people, or are you moving out to love? Are you moving out into the world to, um, to serve or to be served? It, I want us to ask ourselves, this should be the question we have to ask ourselves of, how do I see reality? Do we see ourselves as having a ministry of reconciliation? Number one, okay. Number two. At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after worship on Sundays. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastoral team and other members of our church community. If you have a question, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or join us at Q&R on a Sunday morning. And now, back to this week's sermon. Secondly, we represent a life sent out to be a minister of reconciliation. Sounds very formal. Minister of reconciliation. Now, you should say to that, what does that mean? What does it actually look like? Well, thankfully, Paul gives us an image here in verse 20. Right after that, he says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. And I, looking at the Greek, the, usually you, this is not a noun, ambassadors. This is actually a verb. So that means Paul is saying this is an action. It's not a status. You are to be ambassadoring. Not really a word. You're supposed to ambassador. Ambassadors are citizens of one country sent to another country. You want to know what ambassador is not? It is not a tourist. You do not go. What do tourists do? When I go to a different country as a tourist, I'm eating, I'm consuming, I'm having a good time. It's about me. But that's not what an ambassador is supposed to be. I think it's how we often function in New York, right? We come to New York, we're like, what can I get from New York? How can I, how can it serve me? I'm a lawyer. I'm going to try to, what, what can I get from New York to climb the corporate ladder from my resume? I'm on Broadway. Okay, what can I get from this space so that the world can see how awesome I am and val- so I can validate myself? That's coming with a tourist mentality. To be an ambassador is the opposite. It, it means your role here is not to consume, but to be sent. And so an ambassador holds on to their primary citizenship from the country they came from. They hold on to the customs of what we're, and, and way of doing life 
but they enter into another space and they learn and they're sent and they go there, hopefully not just for the, for the mother country, but for the country you're sent to, for, to be able to care for it. So you hold on to your heavenly address, your identity, your adoption. Therefore, seeing yourself as an ambassador means to be sent. I get asked this question a lot. Michael, how do I know if, I, if I'm being sent to, how do I know where, to, where I'm supposed to be sent? And what, what Paul's saying here is, at the very least, this means that you are at least sent to where you are right now, for now. That means if you're in New York, you're sent to New York. You're sent to your place of work, to your family, to your marriage, to your friendships. That's what it means to have a ministry of reconciliation. So our job then is to go into our spaces. Maybe it's law. Maybe it's medicine. Maybe um, it's, you have a, a ministry of hospitality as you bring people into your home. Maybe it's into the government or the arts or your kids. I don't care if you're making lattes or spreadsheets, if you're changing diapers or doing global politics. We have a ministry of reconciliation, which means to fix and remake and bring healing and renewed beauty. So another way to look at this is this. What in the world has its beauty marred and how do I clean it up? How do I am I part of, that, of fixing that? Where is that space? Where is the sin and brokenness? And let's set up shop now to heal it. A lens like that means you don't run from places and people and situations that are hard. You move towards them. Rodney Stark in his book, this is written decades ago, he, he was a sociologist trying to figure out why did Christianity in the West just blow up? And looking over history, what he found is that there are all these series of pandemics. This is centuries ago. And people normally, what happens in pandemics? People leave. They run out. I'm getting away. And what he found is Christians went the other direction. They went in and cared for the sick. Not because they had some sort of holier-than-thou view. Not, you know, some sort of nefarious, I'm going to, like, you know, if I help them, then maybe they'll, like, join my, my cult. Instead, it was just, I'm going to love them and serve them for the sake of loving and serving them. And surprise, surprise, Christianity exploded. Christians went in and cared for the sick. And so if you're a nurse, you know what your job is? Help heal the body. If you're in law, you know what you're supposed to do? Apply the means of law in places where there's chaos, where there's disorder, and bring order to it. That means if you are on Broadway, what are you doing? When you're singing, you're bending sound and forming it into beauty for others. If you're a student, then you're taking... Um, the knowledge that you're learning and you're trying to figure out, okay, where can I apply this? Where am I going to use it? If you are in a marriage, your job is to go and fix that marriage. You know what happens a lot of times when, um, when, mar- when folks come to me in their marriages? They say, well, he started it. She started it. That might be true. But this is saying you're still called to fix it. Friendships. You're called to your Friendships. Maybe you're not married, but you have all these relationships. To be a good friend, you're not a good friend for the sake of what you can get out of it, but what you can give to it. That means we never, let's say we're sitting with friends and maybe they're not Christians. You don't go and you share your faith because it's a means to an end to like get them to hold your view. You share your faith because you love them. Because their friend is somebody who's an end in and of themselves. Because you want to serve them. You want to say, what does this person need to bring beauty into this world? Um, I want to step back for a second. Have Christians done this well over, over 
the history? No, we have not. We have to admit that. But when they fail, it's not because we were acting out our faith too much. There's a narrative, I think, in New York. They're like, well, that, they were because they were overly Christian. They were too Christian, assuming that because they were believing their faith too much. But that's not true. It's because they weren't Christian enough. Because this is saying if, if you really hold your faith, the core of our faith is a God who reconciles himself to us. And when we believe it, we will move out in reconciliation. So look at your own life. If you don't have joy right now, if you don't have uh, purpose and meaning, maybe it's because you don't see you, how your story, your individual little storyline, fits into this greater story, this greater mission of what God is doing. And I, I wanna, again, I want to be realistic. I know it's hard. The spreadsheet that you were working on last week, you're like, well, how does that apply? And in, in some ways, that spreadsheet, literally you're taking chaos and you're making some order. There is something that happened there. But still, it's really hard to, to tease out the thread for some of you. It doesn't mean that there isn't a thread in the first place. I was rereading um, Tolkien's little short story called, uh, it's, it's called Leaf by Niggle. And I didn't know this, but it, it, it was Tolkien trying to work out his own hardships and anxieties about his work. So it's, it's, it's a mini autobiography story. And the story goes like this. There's, this. there's this artist who is working on this painting. He has this great idea of wanting to do all this amazing stuff. I'm going to paint this, not just anything. I'm going to paint the, the perfect tree with all the branches and leaves and roots and the background. And it's going to be great. But he has to start with a leaf. And he starts drawing it, but he keeps, he doesn't like it. He has to keep drawing it and redrawing it and redrawing it. And he's struggling with his own perfectionism. His neighbors keep bothering him. His, the, 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 the cares of the world keep intercepting him. So he's never able to actually fully work out what he wants to do. And one day, he dies. And he only ever did this leaf. And most of his work is destroyed. One person, I think, finds it. Puts it in a museum, because it's a, it's a great picture of, of, of leaf, but then the museum burns down and people eventually forget. If our modern world is right, that's the end. Your work has no ultimate meaning. It'll be forgotten one day. We don't remember, nobody here remembers what your great-great-grandparents did. Nobody's going to remember what you did. That's, that's what the world says. But that's not this story. This story says, guess what, in the new heavens and new earth, he's there. And as he's there, he's going along, um, and he sees the tree that he was always trying to paint. And he sees the leaf that he actually did paint. And it was better than ever. It was more alive than he could have ever imagined. And it was complete. And he was part of it. And that's the story that we have, is that whatever you're doing right now, it's never going to be fixed. It's never going to be complete. But you actually have a, a hand in the greater story of redemption, that, in re of reconciliation that's actually happening. It turns out his story was part of this greater story, that your work is part of the greater, bigger work, even if it's on a smaller level than you thought. And so I think that helps us, because it tells us then that we get to be part of God's mission to reconcile and help and heal. Now, will you ever, ever complete what you want? No. Will your life be full of frustration and hardship with the work that you're doing? Yes. That means, though, meaning of life, though, is not found in your work. That doesn't mean that your work doesn't have any meaning. You can have both. See, this is, uh, it's, let me say it again. The world will say the meaning of your life is your work. Don't do that. 
You will constantly be frustrated. It'll never be enough. You ever get it, you always want something more. It's not going to work, but it doesn't mean your work doesn't have meaning. It has infinite meaning in this story. Your work is inside his work. Your mission is his mission. And we are sent as ambassadors to represent him out into the world. Now, lastly, reconcile, represent, lastly, restore. Look at verse 17 for us. This, this passage is so, we could look at one verse for, for days. But look at verse 17. It says, through Christ. Through Christ. If anyone's in Christ, the new creation has come. In Greek, what's funny about this little phrase is there's no verb, actually. It's almost like Paul forgot in his excitement. He's like, it's really, literally, should we read, in Christ, new creation. He was so excited to get to the end. He, he almost forgot. Even if he didn't forget, he wanted to highlight new creation. John Owen, in his um, book on Christ's work, he goes through all the things that Jesus actually did. He goes through his miracles. He says, hey, miracles are great. He goes through even Jesus died on the cross. He says, down on the cross is great. But you know what Owen says is the, the gl- most glorious thing? Glory is, is weightiness. It's um, meaning. It's, it's, it's you know, the purpose of reality, glory. He says the most glorious thing is, that, is Christ's humanity, that he became human. And I was like, well, why? And he goes on, it's because the world now, because Jesus, when he died, you know when he was resurrected, what happened? He stayed in the body. There's a bodily form, which means, that means heaven and earth through Jesus is actually united. Which means at some level, there is an earthliness now in heaven. And there is a heavenliness now in your, our earthliness. Which is so powerful when you, when you really let yourself meditate on that. It's not just, you are not just, you know, physical pieces of, of, of material carbon. There is a supernatural nature, and yet... The supernatural, the, the physicalness of ourselves is actually in the eternal. It's so powerful to see that, that because of now, and this is what's so special, that means before Jesus, reality wasn't as real as it is now. Post-Jesus, things, even after the brokenness, are actually better because there's now a unity between heaven and earth that wasn't there before. So powerful. And yet, it's all, this text is also so nuanced because... Look at verse 18. On one level, reconciliation, what, look, look what, what, what tense is it? All this is from God who reconciled. It's already done. But go to the next verse, verse 19, that God was reconciling. That word reconciling in verse 19 is actually in the present participle uh, active verb tense, which means it's ongoing. So on one level, restoration is done. On another level, it's still happening. It's ongoing. It's already but not yet. Let me tell you about the already, the already of what Christ did. How did he actually reconcile? Maybe the most important verse in the Bible to explain and summarize the nature of what Jesus did is verse 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And I want to slow down here for just a second because it's so important to be clear about this. Well, often we fly through this, but I want to just get granular. What does it mean that God made Jesus sin? Does that mean he made him Jesus sinful that, so that he was angry and greedy? No. If that was true, then he never would have gone to the cross. So it couldn't be that. So what does it mean that he had no sin to be sin? It means that when he went to that cross, at some level he became the curse, the brokenness 
that you and I feel every day that we're participating in and doing and other people are doing to us, he gets the punishment. And what does that mean, right? Again, granular. It's not just about the physical nails. In fact, the, I never went to go see the movie The Passion of Christ. I still haven't. Not because of, it's like some sort of dogmatic thing. I just, it never interested me to see the physical suffering of Jesus. Not because it wasn't bad, but that is not actually what really was the suffering. The suffering of Jesus was on the cross when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is, God, that is Jesus saying, I had a relationship with you, now I don't. Why does that matter? If somebody that you met a year ago says, you know what, I want no more relationship with you, how would you feel? You'd be hurt a little bit, right? You met them a year ago, this matters. If somebody that you had deep relationship with for 50 years says, now I, know I, want, I don't want relationship with you anymore, how much more would that hurt? 50 times? Probably more. It would be so painful. If you have per- infinite, perfect relationship throughout all time, and now that's broken, guess what? You and I don't know what that feels like. We don't even know how to, to fathom that. The depth of the punishment that was deserved, it was that bad. He takes and substitutes himself because that's what it took to reconcile us to him. And it's powerful because when you say, well, but Jesus only suffered on the cross for three days. He knew it was going to happen. Guess what? I actually think that you're right. He only did suffer for, uh, he only died for three days and he knew it was going to happen. But that doesn't change the depth of what he experienced, that the taste of death is still on his tongue and always will be. My parents used to love to watch the old um, 1935 version of A Tale of Two Cities. This is the Ronald Coleman version. And the, the Tale of Two Cities goes like this. There's these two men, Sidney Carton and, and Charles Darnay, and they, they love the same woman. And they're competing for her. Eventually, though, she decides to marry Charles Darnay. Years later, after kids and everything, Charles Darnay, the winner gets imprisoned, and he's, been, he's going to be executed the next day. And Sidney Carden sneaks into that prison and tries to convince Charles to leave, to go be with his wife, to, to raise his kids, and he won't. So he basically knocks him over the head and, and smuggles him out of the prison, and, and he takes his place. And there's this woman who is also a prisoner, and she watches this instead of telling the authorities She's so intrigued. Why did Sidney do what he did? And he said he did it because it wasn't just for Charles. He did it for her. He did it for her kids. He did it for others. And this woman in the prison said, listen, I'm going to die tomorrow. But knowing that you're dying for them helps me not be so afraid anymore. I can handle my my own death. How is that possible? It's possible because of this. We live in a world that says my life for me. But Jesus says, my life for thee. We live in a world where we say, I'm going to live my life and it's going to be about me. And Jesus comes to this world and says, it's not going to be about me, it's going to be about you. And that penetrates the bowels of our soul. Because why? We see what he did, and that gives us the power then, like the woman seeing Sydney, and helps us face the hardships of this world, knowing that we're not going to it alone, that he already did this for us. 
that it's in the past tense. He reconciled, number one. Now, secondly, there's an active restoring happening too. Paul says this over and over. Restoring comes through Jesus. You have to go into Jesus' life. What did he do? He restored the spiritual world, right? When he went after the powers and principalities, he threw out the demons. That is spiritual healing. But then if you go to John chapter 2, he turns water into wine. He, he heals people physically. There's a physical redemption and restoring that he's part of too. Which means that restoration isn't just spiritual. I think we err on that. That reconciliation is supposed to be on all these redemptive processes. And that's what's happening actively. It's still ongoing. We're still in the midst of it. We still have a role and a hand. And so to end, let me just, and let me just give you two quick practical applications of what it would look like if you're actually rest- to restore. Here they are. Ready? Number one, don't be a waffle, be a pancake. That's meant to be funny. Don't be a waffle, be a pancake. What do I mean by that? Waffles are, have these little, little indentations so that they, they're supposed to capture the syrupy goodness of, of whatever um, sugary stuff that you put in there, the syrup. The problem with that is it compartmentalizes. And, we, and as a waffle, you compartmentalize your personal life from your work life. You compartmentalize your city life from your friend life. Um, you, you, you keep things at a distance. So we, just, we heard about homelessness this morning. We compartmentalize that. We say, well, that's over there. My personal life is over here. Yeah, uh, there's um, loneliness in this world, right? You might have a lot of friends, and you're, but you also know people who are lonely. But if you compartmentalize, that's over there. I'm over here. That keeps the sugary goodness of God's restoration and the ministry, the ministry of reconciliation away from each other. I want you to be a pancake so that you can spread that sugary goodness everywhere. To be real ambassador means that our neighbors matter to me as much as my 401k matters to me. That it will mean that my vocation is, is, is all of it. And it, yes, you're sent to your work, but, you're, but we've already defined work is, is anything that's not rest, and so work is everything. And we get to spread it all around. Be a pancake, not a waffle. Secondly, be a, gold, be a real goldfish. Ted Lasso... Um, had the, 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 in the series of Ted Lasso, there's this scene where uh, one, he, Coach Lasso's trying to talk to his soccer players who are, uh, they messed up, they're sad, and he says, you want to know who's the, who the happiest animal is in the whole world? It's a goldfish. Because goldfish only has a memory of 10 seconds, and so they're happy. Be a goldfish. And, you know, I love Ted Lasso, but I was going to myself, I was like, you know what, I don't know if I agree with that. Right? Think about that. Hey, my friend needs some help. You know what? Oh, I'm a goldfish. <laughs> oh, you know, um, there's some help. You know, my, uh, there's, there, there's that, my mom, I know that she has these kind of goldfish. There's, that seems like there's something wrong about that. In the Matrix, that's, taking, that's not taking the pill into reality. That's staying, a, you know, ignorance is bliss. But then I was thinking about it. You know what? If in the new heavens and new earth all things are fixed, including goldfish, maybe goldfish get their memories back. <laughs> maybe their happiness is actually going to be rooted in being able to see it all and still be happy. I want you to be real goldfish. I want you to see all the hardship. I want you to see all of it and not forget and say, I'm still going to go in. I'm still going to care. I'm still going to love. I'm still going to serve. And I'm going to be able to be a minister of reconciliation. 
So think for a second. What might be some of the things that you're afraid of about being a, I'm, you want to tell, let me tell you why I'm most afraid of being a minister of reconciliation? Because if I do, then maybe I won't get the acclaim. Maybe I won't get the money that I want. Maybe I won't get the status that I want. Seriously, that's how I, I think. There was a, a couple years ago, I had a friend, and I was, I was complaining to them because something happened in my life that was not fair. It was very unfair. And, and I went to them and I said, this, this is terrible. I can't believe this is happening to me. I'm not getting the credit that, that I'm due. I'm not getting what I deserve. And I can't even quite fully remember what the whole thing was about, but he looked at me and said, you don't need it. And I said, well, but uh, you don't need it. And what he was doing is he was referring me to this greater story of why I don't need it. Now, did in my circumstances change in that moment? No. Was it any less unfair? No. But instantly the anger and hurt melted away because I saw what he was saying that I was able to connect my, my current story into the grand story, and the grand story, you know what? I didn't need it. Not ultimately. Not if I knew how loved I was. Not if I knew how, how much I've been reconciled to him. And that's what I mean when it means to be a real goldfish. That the future reality of, the, of what's going to happen broke into my current reality and informed it and changed it and remade it. Will you let this be your story? Will you connect your story into the greater story that's the only way forward. I mean, if not, you're going to have all these different individual narratives of how to like, actually feel like I have validity and what I'm going to do with my work, and I'm going to overwork, and I'm going to underwork, and I'm going to change my work, and maybe I'll be happier if I leave the city. Maybe I'll be happier if I come to the city. This is saying that because he's reconciled to us, maybe you've heard that a thousand times, but I want you today, just taste it. Just let it, let it move you today. Let it change us. And if we did, we'd be known not just to forgive quickly, we would we'd repent even quicker. If we did, we would be less overwhelmed knowing that when he said on the cross it is finished, it means we can rest because the real work has been done. So the work we have, whatever it is, we can do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, mm, I don't think we access the profound resources we have in who you are and what you're calling us to be. Father, change our hearts into individuals that <laughs> will be real goldfish. We don't have to forget to have bliss. We can have bliss in the midst of the hardships because we know how our stories connect to the true story. Father, Help us not to be waffles, but to be pancakes. We, we compartmentalize because it's easier. It's safer. But then, Father, we're not able to be able to see how homelessness is about my home, too. How loneliness is about my loneliness, too. Father, when we're so focused on our own self, because of our own needs, we can't move out and love the needs of others. Help us to see how full and complete and taken care of we are so that gives us the power to move out and love and serve. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We pray that it's a helpful resource as you process aspects of Christianity and grow in your faith. To learn more about our church, including details about Sunday worship, check out our website at RedeemerLSQ.com.